1: Well, a man that was one of the highest profile athletes in Australia in his prime, and he had a a fairly high off-court profile as well. He's now one of the lowest profiles, a man that's hard to track down, hard to find. Pat Rafter, former number one tennis player in the world and uh, Grand Slam champion. Thanks for joining us on the Friday Focus, mate. Where, Where do we find you and why is it so hard to find you these days? What are you up to?
0: Well, I live in Byron Bay, Gilly. And, um, or at the back of Byron Bay on 70 acres. And I like it here. I don't do any social media. That's another reason why you won't find me. And, um, but unfortunately, one of the Grand Slams I didn't win was exactly 20 years ago to around about this, this week or next week when uh, I lost my last Wimbledon final and you happened
1: to be there. <laughs> we were both playing back then, 20 well, years ago. We were. We were. It was right in, the, mm. in our primes, wasn't it? Although closer to the, awards, the end of your career, funnily enough, which uh, stopped – well, mm. you caught a lot of people out when you gave up, didn't you? But that that 20-year, mm. uh, almost 20-year anniversary, did, do you think about it much? Do you think about that – well, a, a couple of occasions, you were two points from holding that trophy.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but then the problem is that next year you go back, you're a 1,000 points from holding that trophy. (laughs) So you work your way up to get yourself in that position. Um, And then it's one or two wrong decisions or good plays by the other guy and all of a sudden you're back to square one again. And I wasn't prepared to put my body through that again. So this was 20 years ago. I played my last ever Wimbledon. And I stopped when I was just before my 29th birthday. I... Just felt like I'd had enough, um, and just felt more emotionally as well as physically. I had shoulder problems and shoulder issues, which I'm sure I could have worked through, but I really chose mentally um, to take that option of of seeing the game out and going out, still playing some decent tennis, um, but also wanting to have a life outside of tennis. And, and for the first year, I must admit, it was pretty tricky trying to work out um, what my life stood for and what I was doing. Um, but I had a family very quickly. On I had my first son um, in my first year up in retirement, and that just changed your priorities uh, perspective very quickly.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. It's uh, I remember that same feeling as soon as we had our first child. I reckon that was the beginning of the end of my career. Uh, I did play on mm. about six years longer, but uh, but certainly you're right. The priorities and 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 the focus just wanes that little bit from from that 100% focus you had prior. To, to having kids. But, I, I mean, on that retirement, mate, I, as you say, we were sort of uh, – we did a couple of um, – had a mutual sponsor. We did a few promos together. We kept in touch. And, and you and your brother very fortunately got the entire Australian cricket team to that Wimbledon final that you, you mentioned there against Ivanovic in 2001. Amazing day. amazing! It was like a football crowd in there, wasn't it? Because it got pushed to the Monday, mm. didn't it? The crowd – I watched the re- replay last night. The crowd was like a footy game.
0: I'm not watching the replay of Groves man, it took three and a half hours because it wasn't a great game of tennis. It was an atmosphere. I
1: might have fast forwarded to Monday, the to the end. I might have fast forwarded to the closing man, stages.
0: <laughs> yeah, but that's certainly I'm not fast forwarding to that bit. Yeah, no. Um, the um, <laughs> it was it was it was high. You know the, the the crowd, the the high intensity of both the Australians and the people that wanted to see Goran win. Monday final. It's the only ever Monday final I think they've had, and it was free tickets. So come on in. And I remember having the hit. I think I think we played eleven o'clock was hit off, and I hit from nine thirty to ten, and they opened the gates at ten a.m. And I was walking back from the practice court to the to the locker room. You had to walk through the crowd, which which was no one there. And then all of a sudden you look to your right, and the people just running because the tickets they weren't really tickets. It was just Find a seat. Just get in there. First in, first serve. So everyone's running to get in to the centre court to get the best seat they could. And I remember just going, oh, we better run, boys. Get back to the locker room. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it was a great atmosphere. It really was terrific. I really was overawed by it in the first set, but settled into it. Um, But as I said to you again, it was a pretty average game of tennis, but did have an amazing atmosphere
1: high drama that's what it was and it was a contest that Mm. no one knew right down to the very final shot who was going to win but but just going back you touched on retirement and and you you surprised a lot of people with that decision just to to pull out uh and i've always i actually use that um often where i say that actually inspired me although it was six years later that i retired but the way you finish and and I thought I read a quote from you where you said, I, I want people saying why rather than why haven't you? Is that correct?
0: Yeah, along those lines, maybe. Yeah. You, you put that a lot nicer than what, how I put it. Um, <laughs> it was, I just didn't, I wanted to actually go out playing pretty well. And it, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because you leave too early. I and mean, you shouldn't have to worry about what other people think, but you sometimes do. Mm. So. Yeah. And you leave too early and people go, why'd you leave that early? And you keep battling on, they go, oh, please, you know, why didn't you let this go a few years ago and you're just kicking the can down the down the road, yeah. so to speak. So that wasn't how I wanted to be remembered. But I, as I said, I, I really I really had made my mind up emotionally as much as anything that it was time to finish and I don't regret one day of that now. As I said, the first year was tricky, but outside of that, I've had looked look back.
1: Yeah, and... I'm sure it's the same for you. That's a comforting feeling, isn't it? Knowing that you got it right.
0: Yeah, it is. You don't have regrets, and a lot of people either have regrets when they finish their sport, or they have um, not so much regret, but you know they they didn't accomplish what they they wanted to. And and then you see that um, a little bit of depression with a lot of sports people when they finish their career because they lose their identity. Some of them, and they lose a purpose. And there is a selfishness that goes along with it because that's a big part of it, whether or not you want to acknowledge it. And there's a lot of things that are sort of quite cool when you're playing your sport. You can tell everyone else to sit down and shut up or you say, I'm doing my thing because this is my career and I know I've got a short and limited time to do it. And um, I guess for me, I, I always had it drilled into me that success is not um, measured on how many trophies you have or how many wins you've had. is how well you got, the, the most you got out of yourself and the best you got out of yourself. And I always um, was very pleased with believing that I got the most out of my game.
1: There's a, a
0: quote that
1: I found really interesting. Where you, again, whether this is entirely accurate, you can tell me, but uh, said that uh, attributed to you, I'm not that good a player. I'll be the first to admit that. I might be a three or four Grand Slam winner. Or I might be a two Grand Slam winner, which indeed that's the way you ended up. I don't know. That's your quote. Um, do you see, is there potentially similar mindset in a guy like Nick Kyrgios who has been well documented that he, he doesn't particularly like tennis, but he's just good at it. So he does it. Is, do you think there's that sort of, mindset as well, is, is that a wrestle to get, did you find it a wrestle, if you felt that deep down, to, to go up against Sampras and Agassiz and then the new brigade of guys coming through?
0: Yeah, um, it's an interesting question, but I think, I don't think we could be any two polar opposites um, between Nick and I with the way we play, um, the talent that we had, and then also the success that we had, and um, how we see life. So, I would like to say um, that we have nothing in common whatsoever, and and that's the way it is playing out right now. So for, for Nick, like I like the competition. I wanted to push myself, and I wanted to see how good I could be, um, and how. how but where Nick's different, Nick has all the talent talent in the world. He had a lot more talent than what I ever had. And he has um, the ability to, well, not the ability. <laughs> he actually hates competing, um, and whether or not he wants to admit that, um, I don't really care. But it, it comes through pretty loud and clear that he likes playing exhibition style tennis. He's a showboat, and he is brilliant at it. Um, and 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 but what a player and what a talent. So you know he can do shots that I've never seen before. Um, and he, to me. If he had the uh, the mindset of someone like Rafael Nadal, he's got 10 Grand Slams in his back pocket. But for me, as I said, and I would have made that comment, am I a two Grand Slam wonder or a four Grand Slam sort of player? I would have said that after I'd won two Grand Slams because at most days, if I ever believe I was going to win one, I was trying to win one, and I wanted to win one, but I didn't know if I ever was going to win one. Yeah, sure, sure,
1: and so on, Kiri, a very interesting approach to Wimbledon, exactly the way you describe, almost renegade flying in, I think flying in in the next couple of days into London for a pretty quick turnaround given it's next week. Can he win a tournament? Even Izovic was a wild card when he took you down.
0: Yeah, completely different. Goran was playing every week and he, he was, you know, he, he had runs on the board. He'd made three grand slam finals before. And he was playing week in, week out. This is a cop-out for me, from Nick. He's going in the day before. It's no pressure. So he's going to go out there to play and have no expectations. And if he loses the first round, he goes, yeah, so be it. I should have in yesterday and I'm playing tomorrow. You know, that's just, to me, that's a cop-out. The guy's too good for that. He's a great player. He should be over there preparing, although... And so, well, why go? I, I don't understand that. Um, go and compete and play. Or go there and show up and and stuff around. Can but he'll go there and probably cause some damage. The guy is that good. It's, it's freaky, um, but it's disappointing to me that he flies in a couple of days before. That's just not that's not competing.
1: Yeah, he's uh, a complex character, and I guess frustrating for all uh, tennis lovers to to monitor that progress when you think that he. We all think that he could uh, hopefully commit a little bit more to it and and get the results. But as you say, you don't have to please anyone else, and he's comfortable. You mentioned, uh, Pat, earlier, social media. You're not on it. I assume that component of the media landscape was at the forefront of mind for Naomi Osaka when she went through Mm. her situation at the French Open and obviously has pulled out of Wimbledon. What have you made of all that, mate? Have you got an opinion on that, or is it uh, something that you don't pay too much attention to?
0: I love watching all sports and all results, so I do pay attention to it. Yeah, I think that's a, a contributing factor to it. And I think the early on part of her press conference and I'm not going to do the press conference and all that type of thing, um, I, think she just, I think she's dealt with that wrong. She should have just said this, I'm going through some tough times, I need to walk away from the sport. And to blame the media is just a little bit silly because she's, then doing social media. You know, she's just contradicting herself on, on, on how she's dealing with the process of... Yes, the media at at the tournaments, is it's sort of boring. It is. this cliche. You know You know how it works, Gilly. Yeah. You know, how do you feel out there? Hey, um, what do you think happened here? I mean, I can just give you the straight-standard questions. You know, when someone comes off the footy field and they talk about the game. Oh, yep. uh, you know, it's a team effort. We do, and I like, oh, please. You know, to me, I try to do media and have a bit of fun with them. Do a bit of a piss-take and have a laugh with each other and, and try and put a joke in there somewhere and just liven up the atmosphere because the reality is, it, you know, it's boring. I remember doing an interview once, I think I was in Rome, and I said to my buddies, and they actually came, you know, I think it's your open now, yeah, I think about it. And I said to my mates, I said, well, just go there and watch. I'm going to see how many cliche things I can put in this interview. And it was just fun, you know, and somehow you've got to break up the monotony. And, and I feel sorry for the actual. Uh, media, the, the um journalists as well, because they sit there and they go, Oh, we can't ask this question. We want to ask something different. Yeah. But they're really restricted too. <laughs> and poor Naomi, she was just doing the same thing week in, week out, I get it. Um and she just needs to break away from it. And that's what it is. And if you and, and if you want to play the tournaments, you've got to do the media. And that's just that's part of the past, part and parcel of it. And the problem with the tournaments is that they put in an option You don't have to do it. We have to pay a a fee, for a a fine for not doing the media. They've got to scrap that all together and say, media's on. You have to do it. If you don't do it, you're out of the tournament.
1: Yeah, because surely it's plain to see as an athlete that we rely on media and broadcast rights, don't we? That's what allows not just to pay the prize money, but just to create the the tournament or the tour. Uh, They're vital cog in the wheel.
0: Yeah, mate, exactly right. And you, as said, you know it. Every sport knows it. Um, and to you, for you not to do it, he so you have to be a pretty interesting personality. Remember when Wayne Bennett stopped doing some things on the rugby league, or, yeah. or he didn't want to do the interviews. I, I guess there was a way around it for for rugby league. I wasn't quite sure, but he sort of has a pretty funny approach to it, and and, and he has a. Um, an atmosphere when you do a press conference. is quite um, as, as monotone as he is. It's quite interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so there has to be something else there that you're giving back.
1: Mate, just change the uh, the direction a little bit. The Davis Cup, something that was you were so passionate about, such part of the heritage of, of tennis, particularly in this country, and amazing uh, results over the years. Uh, it, it was something that looked like, that was almost your favourite tennis to play, and and I think you instilled that, pass that on to a guy like Leighton Hewitt. It's just a different landscape now, isn't it? Totally. That must have almost ripped your heart out when they they changed the format completely, of that of that uh, competition.
0: Yeah, um, I guess we, yeah, it, it was brilliant. I loved Davis Cup. I love the team the atmosphere, um, Leighton had his name from a young man. He was a team sort of player and, you know, grew up playing AFL. And it's very, very Australian. And I remember talking about playing and representing your country, whether it was Olympics or, or Davis Cup. But it was the one thing we put in our schedule first thing. So you put in grasslands, you put in Davis Cup, and then you work the schedule around that. Yeah. And you sacrifice tournaments, you sacrifice money, you sacrifice a lot of things to do it. But it wasn't a sacrifice, if you know what I mean. It was... It was just what you want to do, you know. Right. It was it was fun. The players now look at it as a, as a big burden on their on their schedule, and they don't want to want to commit to it. And that's not just an Australian thing; that's a universal thing. So when I came in to do the Davis Cup captaincy, I was quite naive um, to all of this, and I sat down, and I watched it, and I recognised that something had to change. So I went to the ITF, the International Tennis Federation, the body who ran the Davis Cup and said, guys, we want to keep the name and the history going, but the reality is it's dying. What are you going to do to change it? And here's a couple of ideas on how we could probably change it, maybe every two years, and have the qualifying one year and the next year, the big Davis Cup thing, you know, if, if you want to keep the same weeks, yep. you know, and, and keep them going and after Wimbledon, after the Aussie, whenever they used to put it. They used to change it around a little bit. Um, and then... And then when they did change it, I thought, well, you probably left it a little bit late because I was about six, seven years later when I actually was getting... I got quite abusive with the ITF. Um, I I, I lost my mind with them a little bit because they just couldn't see what they were doing to the sport and they had to have some type of change and they just weren't going with it. And what they've got now... um, I don't know. I, I thought it was worth a, ch- a try, to be honest. Uh, uh, it was probably rolled out a bit wrong, you know, in Spain, and no one really went to watch it, and it was a bit of a shame. I was lucky that Spain won it, so they had a crowd. Yeah. But I think it didn't really work, and I don't know if they sort of came up with the right model, but I sort of took my hat off time for at least trying. Where it sits right now, I don't know. It doesn't look good, though, and it's a shame to lose that history of Davis Cup.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, I, 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 I agree with you uh, in regards to you've, you've certainly got to assess the landscape. And it did seem like, as an outside observer, that it wasn't a priority for the players. So, yeah, uh, hats off to, to trying to initiate something new and c- keep the interest going in it. Um may remiss of me uh, not to mention a, mm. a couple more things. First of all, um, Nadal, uh, Federer, Djokovic... Who ranks where?
0: Yeah, good call, mate. Interesting, isn't it? Because remember six, seven years ago, it was the top four and Andy Murray. Mm. You know, and it's a shame that he's not in the picture anymore because it was such a fun four-man team sort of thing going at it. And yep. I don't know Murray was always sort of playing second fiddle to the other three, but he snuck in there. He won a few grand slams. But now we've got the three and they're vying for that top dog position. At this stage, it looks like Djokovic. The other thing is, I think Djokovic, and and you might correct me here, or or someone's going to correct me, he's probably got the only winning percentage over all the top players as well. I don't think he has a losing percentage against any of them. I think he beats Nadal, he beats Federer. I think Federer may lose Nadal by a couple, and I think Federer loses Djokovic by
1: a couple too. Yeah, and I'm just going to jump in quickly there, because you mentioned that, and I I don't know those stats, but I'm pretty sure that uh, going back to a boat we were talking about, Nick Kyrgios, I reckon he's beaten Djokovic in the 2 matchups he's had against him career, (laughs) which shows everything that you mentioned about Nick. I'm probably digressing back to that. The potential mm, of uh mm. Kyrgios, what he, damage he can do. But uh but yeah, Novak mm. seems to still have the run in the legs to, to go on that bit longer at the minute, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, he does. Um he's got a couple more good years ahead of him. He may he might get to twenty five. <laughs> yeah. He may wow. win he may win the Grandstand this year. He's won the first two. Mm. Um he's got Wimbledon coming up, he's gonna be favourite for. Yep. Rafa's out. I don't know who's gonna beat him. Um and then he may, you know, if he does the Olympics, he might win the gold there. And he goes in, if he's won the, these three, how hard is he going to get be to beat at the US Open? <laughs> it's going to be brutal. So we're probably looking at Djokovic being the greatest of all time um, amongst the four where I thought it was always going to be Federer. Mm. Um, and I love the way Federer plays, but Djokovic is unbelievable. And as you said, you know, nick has got the game of the beating. I mean, that's how good Nick is. I mean, if that guy had it all together, my God, what a player. <laughs> Yes,
1: a few have pondered on that for a little while, haven't they? Uh, you mentioned right at the top, mate, outside in the hinterland of Byron Bay, uh, a good mate of yours who you bump into on the beach, I believe, uh, Bernard Fanning of Powderfinger fame. He tells me that you're on your property, you're planting trees or plants, you then dig them up and relocate them purely for the joy of doing that for no apparent reason. Is that, is that your life? Are you just a farmer plot out there just living the dream?
0: Oh, well, listen, I have been known to relocate a few, but I try to keep them in the ground, mate. Um, (laughs) So we have planted, I don't know, probably 15,000 trees already here. We've got another 5,000 going in in a month's time, and there's still more planting to do. But I love going around. I keep the area pretty clean around the house, quite snaky where we live. So um, I keep that nice and mowed, and then I... I like to do a lot of planting, as you said, and I've got a bit of an orchard, which I kill all the time. I'm absolutely useless when it comes to that. But we've got the koala trees growing and the rainforest restoration. It's going to be a pretty cool property in about 10 years, mate. It's going to be really special, and I hope that, you know, it's a place that will continue to be that for my grandkids, so, yeah, well, my children and their kids and et cetera, et cetera. It's a really special place.
1: Uh, it is. A, a, I'm sure the, the property is a special place, beautiful know. region, beautiful region. You in know the, the area,
0: mate. Yes,
1: in the region where I grew up. So, uh, no, it is a, a fascinating place and, and fantastic to see you you're regenerating it and the, and the intentions for it. Could talk to you uh, for a lot longer, mate, but uh, I'll, I've held up your time for too long. It's been um, really interesting. To, great to catch up, great to chat and get your thoughts on a few different Issues there. Keep enjoying what you're doing there, mate. And uh, thanks very much for joining us today on the Friday Focus.
0: Always a pleasure, Gilly. Good chatting, mate. It's Tyre Power's Big Footy Final Sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Tyre Power's Big Footy Final Sale can't last. Visit tyrepower.com.au
1: now.